when I think about extreme travel, I think of swimming with sharks in South Africa, conquering the highest mountain peaks, or sand skiing in the dunes of Qatar. I decided to get in touch with Ash Bardwaj, who's a travel writer, filmmaker and storyteller. Our day out of the Bayuda Desert and back to the Nile. We thought we were going to do 27 kilometres. We haven't eaten all day and we ran out of water about 15 kilometres back. Yeah, this has been a tough day. He seems to thrive on extreme travel and I wanted to find out exactly where that passion comes from and essentially why he does it. If you're hungry for your very own adventure, make the most of Rough Guide's trip service, where you can plan and book your own bespoke trip with the help of local experts. Just head to roughguides.com to find out more. In 2018, Ash travelled the entire length of Russia's European border. That's 8,500 kilometres, in case you were wondering. I'm sat with Ash here. It's a sunny afternoon in London today. So, hello, Ash. Hi, Amy. How are you? Yep, very good, thank you. How are you? Uh, well, I had a bit of extreme. I wanted to find out why he took this travel venture to the extreme. Certainly, an extreme. He did the research in aid of his upcoming project, the New Iron Curtain. Just it felt like the perfect opportunity to chat to him about his travels and what inspired him along the way. So, you studied philosophy at university. I did, yeah. And then after that, you set off to New Zealand to be in, to be a ski instructor. And to play rugby, very oh. badly play rugby okay. against people who were very good at playing rugby. And they were very big and very strong. So I spent most of my time just eating mud whilst I was in New Zealand. How did you get into travel and how did you get into travel writing after that? Uh, uh, it's a good question because I probably wasn't always that adventurous. Uh, as, uh, when I was a kid, I did love space. That was probably my first insight into exploration and adventure. You know, I, I loved Star Trek The Next Generation. And Captain Picard was a hero of mine going off and seeing the universe. Uh, and you know, I don't know if this is just me retrospectively creating this narrative or if it's actually true that seeing all those different cultures on Star Trek made me think about, oh, maybe there's other things beyond the small town I live in, Windsor. I'm also half Indian, so I was always very curious going to visit my fully Indian family's house, how different life was there. So there's sort of this uh, almost basic anthropological interest, I guess. Um, but I was an absolute geek as a kid. I spent most of my time indoors playing computer games or painting, you know, Citadel miniatures, Warhammer models. Um, I didn't get outside much and do lots of sport. And then I went to my sixth form, the place called Windsor Boys School. It's a local comprehensive, but they played rugby. And there was a rugby tour coming up to Australia, New Zealand and the Cook Islands. And my mum said, you should go to New Zealand. She'd been there when she was younger. So she worked as a cleaner, well, did an extra second job as a cleaner to save up for me to go to New Zealand. I guess that's where I really got the adventure bug. Um, seeing a place that had things that were familiar, because New Zealand is a pretty westernised society settled by people from the UK. Uh, but of course, you've got the Maori culture there as well. And this interesting interplay between those two cultures. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So what is it that makes Ash travel and go in search of extreme adventures? So I've been told that the best thing to do oh, straight after a sauna 
is to jump into a frozen lake, failing that snow. see why people do this. So after the Scandinavians have been doing it for hundreds of years, this is something that sports scientists decided to use in America and the rest of Europe. So what tips would you have for someone who is perhaps looking to take a more extreme adventure? Should they swap a foodie tour for like a scuba diving experience or do uh, research on a place before they go? Uh, you can go for your hobbies. So I went to New Zealand to play rugby and that gave me an amazing insight into um, New Zealand countryside culture. That was great. And that's actually got me up into the, the mountains. Uh, you can go for your heroes. So those can either be contemporary heroes. You know, maybe you uh, think Luis Figo was a great footballer. Go and see his hometown in Portugal. Or maybe you want to go and see where Game of Thrones was filmed. But it gives you a reason to go somewhere. Uh, when I went to Albania and did a big trek through the eastern mountains of Albania, I was following in the footsteps of a World War II special operations guy who got parachuted in and then had to spend a bit of time escaping from the Germans. And it just gave me a reason to go and see this part of Albania that nobody ever visits. In Uganda, we were travelling down the Nile, and I noticed that in every single town I visited, there were people in Arsenal shirts. Every village, you know, three days' walk from the nearest town, there's a guy in the latest Arsenal shirt. And this was incredible. I was like, why, why are Arsenal so popular in, popular in Uganda? Uh, and the reason is, is that in the early 90s, when the Premier League went international, Arsenal were the number one team, but they were also the only team with a large number of black players, you know, like Canu, Vieira, Saul Campbell. And so for young black guys in Africa they could look on the screen and go, oh, those guys are like me. So they supported Arsenal. And that just gave me an excuse to talk to these guys. So I think those are three things you can do. Hunt for the unexpected, follow your heroes or follow your hobbies. Those are three tips I would give people. Ash's most recent adventure, which he's currently writing a book about, is a journey that spans the length and breadth of the Russian border. In your research that you undertook recently, so you wrote about uh, the journey that you took uh, all the way from Arctic Norway all the way down to Crimea. Yeah. So can you paint me a picture of the route that you took? Sure. So Russia butts up against the rest of Europe from the Arctic Ocean all the way down to the Black Sea. Um, if you don't know where the Black Sea is, it's kind of where the Mediterranean is, that level. So you've got an enormous range of climates and distance. Um, and European Russia, as against Asian Russia, it's kind of distinguished by the Ural Mountains, which run down the middle of Russia. It touches the following countries. So it touches Norway, which a lot of people don't know. Norway goes over the top of Finland and it touches Russia right up, um, right up near the Russian city of Murmansk. Then Finland... Um, and then I so I went from Norway through Finland, round the Baltic Sea, through St. Petersburg, into Estonia, Latvia, and then Lithuania, and then into a region called Kaliningrad. So Kaliningrad is a Russian exclave. It's, it used to be a part of Germany, and it's surrounded by Lithuania and Poland. 
So it's separated from the rest of Russia by about 600 miles, I think. Then I went into Poland, Belarus and Ukraine. And I then went from Ukraine to an area called Transnistria, which is a Russian-speaking, ethnic Russian uh, breakaway state from Moldova. Technically, it's part of Moldova, but it's an unrecognized state. Then I went into Moldova, went back to Kiev, and then down to Crimea. And Crimea is uh, a part of Ukraine. And in 2014, Russia annexed it and took it. Um, So it's a Russian-occupied, annexed part of Ukraine. What inspired you to take this route? So in 2017, I was sent to uh, deter Russian aggression against the Baltics. Not not me on my own. I don't think Ash Bardwaj stood in Estonia is going to worry Russia too much. But as a product of the Russian annexation of Crimea, countries in Eastern Europe worried about Russian incursions. So NATO created something called the Enhanced Forward Presence. They basically sent troops from all different countries of NATO to Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania and Poland. And it meant that if Russia were to be aggressive, they would have to um, encounter other NATO troops, which would basically it's a way to put them off doing anything. That, that was the sort of big picture thing. And I'm in the Army Reserve and my reserve unit went out there to do training with our regular counterparts. And I just suddenly realised I had no idea that there was potential conflict with Russia. This idea that there was a conflict brewing in Europe uh, terrified me because I thought, if it happens, I'm going to be here. And I was also very curious. What is it that I've misunderstood? What is it that I don't know that is causing this? Um, And I looked into it, chatted to some Estonians, got an understanding of their experience of the Soviet occupation. Uh, met some Russian Estonians. You know, what does it mean to you? What does identity mean to you? Uh, and started to do some research about what's going on in Ukraine. Why are they at war with Russia? Or why is there a conflict with Russia um, when they've always been referred to as these brother countries? I could read some books about it. I could read some news. But I really wanted to get my own first-hand experience and meet the people who are being affected by it. You know, not, not generals or politicians or journalists who either write about it or send people there, but the people who live on that border who have to deal with it every day. So I also listened to another interview of yours and you spoke about the importance of what you do and how you pass your time doing that. Could you expand on that? I think there's this interesting space between pure travelogue writing or just writing about a place as a destination and then sort of international relations, understanding a place for what it is, maybe borderline anthropology as well. And I've been fascinated by international relations and geopolitics, but I've never wanted to be an academic. I never wanted to study it from an academic point of view. But I've always loved travelling, being curious about places and meeting people. I think there is definitely value in travelling to places and trying to reveal something new in a way that isn't just, oh, this is a cool destination, why don't we come here on holiday? What can you learn about that place and what can you reveal about the people that gives you a better understanding of that place and also to an extent of yourself. So the example that I use is, you know, at the moment there is an impasse between Russia and what is put together as the West when it comes to Russia's behaviours in Eastern Europe, NATO moving into Baltic countries. There's tension and there's the potential for conflict. Travelling to Russia in particular help me understand their fears and motivations that I think is really important if you're going to try and deal with people from another country. An example is going to St. Petersburg and I was with a lady whose 
mother was from St. Petersburg and her grandmother had survived the siege of Leningrad. St. Petersburg was known as Leningrad during the Soviet Union. She took me to one of the mass graves there. And there's two big mass graves that between them have about 1.3 million people in them. So 1.3 million people died in Leningrad from 1941 to 1943. They eventually lifted the siege. And that's hard to imagine. Leningrad was a city of, I think, 2 million people. Oh, no, it was 1.5 million people and 1.2 million died. Like, that's unimaginable. And if you think about what happened to the Soviet Union, their entire land up to Moscow and around it was completely occupied. Cities were razed to the ground. There were death squads rampaging through the countryside, murdering people. It wasn't like Britain where we got blitzed, but Britain was never occupied. And I think, and America, of course, was never occupied. So if you think of Britain and America as the two most anti-Russian groups in NATO we don't really understand what it's like to have experienced what they did and one of the things that I encountered was Russians telling me well the last time that there were western tanks this close to our border was the 21st of June 1941 if you don't know that was the day before Operation Barbarossa started which was the invasion of the Soviet Union now the fact that a lot of Russians I met remember the date that Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union shows how ingrained this is into their psyche. Now, you can say that's because of Soviet propaganda or you can say that is because of the way it's being weaponised by the Kremlin. And I think there's some truth to that. Nonetheless, it's important to understand where those fears come from. And if you're going to engage with a country and tell them your fears are meaningless, that's not going to lead to a good conversation or good diplomacy. Did you have any other sort of unexpected stories or discoveries while you're travelling the route that you did? Uh, when I was in Belarus, I was in the when I was in the Bielovieja forest. I uh, it, it's in the border zone, and in the Belarusian border zone, you're supposed to have a special permit. I didn't know about this. I just got on a bus and went there, and I was sat there having a cup of tea, waiting for the park to open, and this very strapping bloke. We're well-dressed, uniform, very smart, walks up to me and in perfect English, he's like, hello, where are you from? Well, I'm from England. Goes, I see your passport. Showed him my passport. Like, you don't have a border pass. I'm like, oh, I don't. Sorry. He goes, well, you know, us Belarusians, we're, we're very protective of our borders. Goes, but don't worry. It'll be fine. You're just here to have a look around the park. That's fine. And I'll see you in a couple of hours. And I'll just make sure you get on the bus. And I was like, oh, okay. Whenever you get stopped by a border guard, always carry a packet of cigarettes because you can offer it to officials, even if you don't smoke. So I offered him a cigarette. He was like, oh, I don't normally smoke. I'm, a, I'm something of an athlete to myself, but, I, but I'll, I'll have a cigarette and get, we'll have a chat. So, like, oh, brilliant. What kind of sports do you do? Oh, I do mixed martial arts. He said, what do you play? Oh, I play rugby. And he's like, oh, I love rugby. We play rugby in Belarus. All of a sudden... I'm chatting to this border guard who'd been quite officious. And it was that that led to him saying, oh, don't worry about the pass. I'll come back and I'll just make sure you get on a bus and leave the park, but have a good day. So learning that Belarusians enjoy rugby, I don't think they've got a Belarusian rugby team, but just that fact of starting that conversation with somebody and learning something novel and unexpected, and then it leading to somebody going, oh, don't worry about the permit, just don't be here after dark. 
Nice. Yeah, chatting to locals, just getting into conversations with people. Sometimes you learn so much more wherever you are. So, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Uh, Arsenal and rugby have got me out of tricky situations. <laughs> have to try that for myself. And cigarettes as well. Uh, yeah, always carry a pack of, packet of cigarettes. Top tip. Uh, really useful. I mean, I did, after that, I did get detained by the Belarusian border guards. I was in a part of the park that I wasn't supposed to be. I went to where um, the end of the Soviet Union accords had been signed. And uh, it was outside of the tourist area. I, I might have gone past a sort of no entry sign. Uh, and then I got there and realised that maybe this is the headquarters of the Belarusian border guards. This is a place I definitely shouldn't be. And I had my, um, had my microphone with me and a camera. So I definitely looked like a, a spy. Uh, and I just thought, this is, this is not going to look good. This is really not a good situation. Cycling on a bike up to what I thought was the Belarusian border guard headquarters turns out even worse it was basically the belarusian equivalent of checkers it was the um it was the belarusian president's country escape so we'd go on the weekends uh so yeah having some random english dude with a camera and a microphone cycling up to it really didn't look good but yeah gave them some cigarettes had a chat sent me on my way (laughs) were you allowed to say you were a journalist then when you're doing the route well, I told people I was a travel writer. Now, is that journalism? Well, you're reporting on things. You're following the same rules of um, credibility and making sure you're fact-checking and you're giving people information. But you're not doing investigation or, or news. So in places like Russia, I think, you know, if you tell them you're a journalist, they're going to presume that you're there to look up what misdemeanours Russia's been up to over the last couple of years. Whereas if you go there as a writer, you're going there for to tell people how great Russia is. And I think getting that balance right is something you you have to deal with yourself and work out, what are you doing? Are are you being an investigative journalist or are you just writing about a place? And I think when I did this journey, I thought, well, I'm not going there to do investigative journalism. I'm going there to see these things and report back on them. So where are you off to next? Well, apart from my very exciting trip to Johnson Space Centre for the Apollo anniversary, I'm going to go to Japan going to a town called Kamaishi, which was really badly hit by the 2011 tsunami, and they've just rebuilt it. So the, the Rugby World Cup means a lot to them there. Um, but my next big project that I'm kind of doing the research on at the moment is um, in the subcontinent. Uh, my grandfather, my dad was Indian. My grandfather used to look after the Viceroy's train on its route from Shimla to Delhi every summer. But one of his relatives, I think my great-uncle, was arrested in Peshawar, which is the border, now Pakistan, and the border with Afghanistan, uh, for terrorism. So I find it fascinating that within my Indian family, you've got one that was a loyal British subject, another one that was, the Indians call him a freedom fighter, but the British arrested him for terrorism. So I want to go there and follow that route from where he was arrested through to where he was imprisoned, which is the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. It's off in the ocean towards Thailand. So that'll give me a reason to cover the whole of India. But I think, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff about identity, nationalism, the legacy of the empire. You know, we hear a lot at the moment that India's going to give us a brilliant trade deal because we used to be their colonial rulers. And I think it's going to be quite a shocking wake-up call when they realise how Britain is viewed in India because of that history. I mean, there's some fondness, definitely. But I'm fascinated to go and do that journey. That's my next big one. So can adventure only be found by going to these dramatic landscapes and cultures which are wildly different to your own? You can't do anywhere, you can go and visit it. And I don't feel that I've 
done London. You know, I think every day I can go off and have a little adventure or an exploration, go to a part of London I've never seen before. So even in places that are well visited, you can find interesting things off them. It's not just a tick list, is it? It's, I think having a reason to go somewhere, you know, I, I want to go to Paris and see the Eiffel Tower. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think you can then also use that as a reason to go somewhere and then go and do loads of extra stuff. Maybe wander through the streets of Paris and walk from the Eiffel Tower to Montmartre and then you see loads of different things. Yeah, definitely. Getting lost is a great way to do that as well. First-hand experience. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Ash Bardwaj for coming in and talking to us about his adventures. We'll be back in two weeks for the last episode of Series 4 of The Rough Guide to Everywhere, where we'll be taking a peek into two of our upcoming guidebooks to go in search of some of the most magical spots on Earth. If you want to plan your own adventure, then head to roughguides.com where you can plan and book your next trip. This episode was hosted by me, Amy White, and produced by Femi Oriogan-Williams for Reduced Listening.